Hi, everyone. Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are talking about the good, the bad, and the potential of learning and development. L&D is seeing a transformation like nothing experienced in the past. Learning professionals are busting through traditional silos to collaborate on more holistic visions to create stronger connections between learning and business goals. Now, according to the recent LinkedIn Workplace Learning Report, L&D leaders agree that L&D has become more influential over the past year. This means that the demand is greater for results. So what are we going to do about that? What's really exciting is we have an important opportunity to build fresh solutions to strengthen skill building, build retention models, use human-centered learning as more than a buzzword, and bring diversity and inclusion into the conversation, and more importantly, into the workplace. Therefore, the question on the table today is, what kind of change have you seen in the L&D industry over the past years, and how can we harness our momentum to make a greater impact? So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, welcome everyone to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Super excited to have this conversation with everyone today. So here we are today talking about the potential of L&D, the good, the bad, the potential. And I'm really interested in everyone's story first, but I'm also interested in where we go from here. So L&D has suddenly been thrust into the spotlight for a lot of organizations right now because of the skills shortage that we've been experiencing or that organizations have been experiencing throughout. And this is where we have those super special strong muscles, right? Our muscles are for collaboration and for partnership and helping people be better at what they do. Those are our special talents. Those are our superpowers. And so now we have this opportunity to put those superpowers into the limelight and to take better advantage of them. So I really want to get into the conversation of the potential of what we do and how we can harness that better than what we currently do now. So let's start with this big question on the table, shall we? Is what changes have you seen in L&D throughout the course of the years? We can even go pre-pandemic and now, I think that there's been substantial changes within the industry and what we do, even within this short period of 24 months. But I'm curious as to your thoughts, what do you think have been the changes in the industry that you've seen in two, five, 10 years? A lot more is done remotely than it used to be done and virtually. Mm -hmm. And obviously, pandemic accelerated needing to have an appetite for learning being delivered, not face-to-face. I mean, so that's a big change is even just the organization recognizing that learning does not need to occur only in a class, face-to-face classroom and not Mm -hmm. as an event, that it can also be parsed out in smaller bits that are in the flow of work 
and again, are not events. They are parts along a journey. Oh, I agree. I think remote work has, we've all been preaching about how we could work remote and how courses, classes, programs can all be delivered virtually, you know, and now people are like, oh yeah, they can be. <laughs> so I, so I agree. That's been a big shift. What else are you seeing? Customization. Ooh, customization. Customization and, and the use of technology, right? Even though it might be quote unquote antiquated technology, but ditching 1970s videos for something that was at least, <laughs> you know, in the 2000s. Jen, I see you laughing and you know I'm right. <laughs> something as simple as that, that there is actually a crave for better in a way. And it's not so much a check the box, oh, hire this guy, they'll come in and they'll whip through a class for us, but more realistic to your special environment. It appears to many that it's more accessible than it used to be, even though it's always been accessible. They just failed to identify that those tools were were there for the taking. Right. I agree with you. I think that there's a more of a focus on getting the right content in front of the right people. And I remember way back when, boy, I'll be dating myself with this. Did anybody else have the uh, CD content library? Uh, I see Deb shaking her head. Yes. And so it came in a binder and you had a subscription, almost like Netflix, you know, where you got a CD in the mail for leadership or customer service or something like that. Yeah, I see lots of nods. And that was before we were really taking advantage of the Internet. And we certainly before we had all of the ease of video tools that we have now. That was the future back then. So when you talk about 1970s training, yeah, I hear you. And that's definitely been a switch. And Heather, learn on need and skills-based learning are pushing to the front of the line. Absolutely. Would you guys agree with, with Heather on that? That skill-based learning certainly is taking a focus. What's your experience there? So I work at a hospital system. So everything we do is, uh, is skill-based at this mm -hmm. point. I think some of the other things that I've noticed, you know, you guys had mentioned technology, but kind of they're now finally starting to consider things like virtual reality, augmented mm -hmm. reality, artificial intelligence, all of that. So I think that's a great thing for my company. It'll be a while. It wasn't until two years that they even knew that WebEx even existed. So we're going to give them time to adapt. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> slowly coming around. <laughs> well, it's baby steps. Yeah, and that skill that skill training is huge in healthcare because mm -hmm. people coming to us to work in clinical positions are not getting the skill training in school that they once did. Mm -hmm. And from what I hear, that's the same in other industries too. People aren't arriving to work with the same skill base anymore. Mm -hmm. So now it's not only are you upskilling, but you're just level skilling <laughs> to start with. And then oh, what a great phrase. <laughs> What a great phrase, level skilling. Shannon, write that down because I think that that is perfect. You're, you're absolutely correct. And Jen, copyright that. Yeah, there we go. TM, man. It's like right, right there with your name on it. Thank God this meeting is recorded. <laughs> That's right. It's in perpetuity now. That's right. <laughs> it's yours, Jen. <laughs> I think we could all agree that, especially if you think in the business sector, you have a lot of 
what we might refer to as high potentials, you know, that come from university and they come straight into a business world and they don't know anything about business, right? So they went to university and they were taught, I don't know what they were taught, but they, they were taught all sorts of things, but not business acumen, right? And ha- not how to lead people and not how to be good customers for their own business, you know? So I agree, there's a certain amount of level set here that needs to be taken. And I think that that's a great potential as well. Maureen, you guys are returning back to some in-person meetings and I see that too. I just did a couple of them myself, you know, some in-person workshops for some businesses and that was kind of fun to do. What other things are we shifting to? Okay, so yes, the use, well, let's talk about that. The use of augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence. Well, that certainly wasn't something that was on our radars as early as five years ago. It is now. So what is your take on that? I think for my organization, it still takes a long time to get technologies on a roadmap for that to be supported. So while we may see some great tools that would make for wonderful experiences and the whole bit, it still needs to go through and still needs to be vetted as an investment. So I think that maybe the desire to have that exceeds selling or, you know, selling that into the business as a (laughs) worthwhile Mm -hmm. investment. But it's also that I know for us, we need to think in terms of like, what is the simplest solution that's going to get to the need? And then it's much more iterative than it was in the past. And so because the pace of change is so fast and the amount of time that's available to even develop things is so compressed that sometimes the augmented reality and virtual reality and all those and artificial intelligence, at least there's the perception that it would take too long to create Mm -hmm. something that uses that as the solution. So. Which is so the opposite, right? Yes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm all in on the AR VR, but man, the sell on that is, is man, it's like selling somebody a Maserati. You got to like just, I'm in parentheses right now of things that I would say if this weren't a recorded thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, it is so fascinating that that technology is right there and so simple and so forward and when your comment maureen about they want this upgrade they want this everything fine-tuned or new 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 we know from building content from scratch or even taking old content and trying to readjust and relearn and if you've got student materials and that's a lot right even if it's just minor stuff where recording a and taking some new pictures because something changed in the environment with that 360 camera and with the quality team i mean days versus months exponential and just, mm-hmm. I'm not promoting Zapper, but I talk to those mm-hmm. guys from time to time. This year's Super Bowl is going to help change that learning curve. Oh. Like they're already putting stuff together with like with Peyton Manning and a Coors Light or whatever. They're going to have uh-huh. little Zapper things on their thing. And so nice. the Super Bowl and their commercials are going to help accelerate that learning curve to make that a much quote unquote norm thing. So mm-hmm. I'm ready for them to help us out in that aspect. Absolutely. And our upcoming Learn Something New Wednesday, which is actually going to be on a Friday, is all about augmented reality working with Debbie Richards. And she works with Zapper. She works with other tools, things that are super simple. And you guys can make a business case out of that. You don't need a degree in computer science like you might have used to 
You don't need a whole bunch of special equipment like you might have used to. And I think it's how we're communicating that to the business. You know, so if we are firm and not just with ARVR, but with anything, but if we have the courage of conviction of presenting this in front of business leaders and saying easy, cost effective, and as you said, Douglas, truncating time from months to days. And I don't know of a business leader who wouldn't want that. So it's just a matter of how are we presenting that information, I believe. And that has been a huge shift in what L&D can bring to the table, right? We have this great opportunity, as I said at the beginning, of taking advantage of CEOs everywhere saying that their highest priority is the skills agenda, you know? And so I've seen reports that say CEOs everywhere Skills agenda, top priority. L&D, top priority, putting out compliance training. There's a disconnect. There's a real disconnect. And we have this opportunity to get in front of business leaders and say, here's our superpower. We can help you with this skills agenda. We really can. And another thing that I'm seeing here that I I saw from you, Don, that you put in here as a shift in L&D perspective here is the need to acknowledge and accommodate physical safety needs to be in place in order for psychological safety to exist. And I think the focus on psychological safety is another great shift that we've seen in recent years. What's your take on that? All of our classes had to go online and our instructors had to automatically become online instructors during the pandemic. And now when we call them back together, if we're doing training, for example, they don't know how we've kind of forgotten how to be together in the same space and interact. And so with that comes those psychological safety issues that you have to create. There was always the the concept of creating safety to participate. And it's now even more important because of that. The other thing I want to say is the most effective training I think I've delivered in the last few months, quite honestly, was just a series of drips about our performance appraisals. Mm -hmm. I never used to drip. That was just Mm -hmm. something that a faucet did. But um, drips have become a big thing for us. And they're very effective at the college. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So two things there. And, uh, you know, Learning Rebels is all about the drip. That's, That's exactly what our business model is, creating those drips for organizations. Well, I think that's why I'm on this call because I was at your session at ATD. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, glad that you joined us then. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. And then also the second part of that, the psychological safety part, I believe, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, inherently as L&D professionals, we realize and understand the concept of psychological safety and we try to incorporate that into our face-to-face classrooms by having them understand that this is a safe place for you to learn and a safe place for you to fail, et cetera. But now I believe that there's been really a dynamic shift in purposeful psychological safety where we're really paying attention to it. So what are your thoughts? Would you agree or or not with that? So... Like I do see that people are saying this is super important, but I'm also like in larger organizations, I'm seeing like a fight. Everybody says it's important, but it feels like there's a lot of push and pull on how we deliver that to our folks. 
I think that there's just a lot of ambiguity around what that really means and what an employee means when they say, I want this type of thing from my employer. And so from my role, like I might think it's one thing, but we're not part of HR in our org, our learning and development and HR teams sit in very different areas of the organization. And so it just feels like we're running down what we think is going to provide this psychological safety to our folks. But then what we're working on here seems to be in conflict with what HR is working on. And so there's there just seems to be some ambiguity in general, but yet I think everybody recognizes that it's important. It's what we should be doing for our folks. It's what we want to be doing. We just don't really know how exactly to do it and to do it cohesively and consistently. I think that's a great point. I believe that's exactly where my point was, is that in the past, we just sort of tried to create this safe place for participants. But now we're really thinking about it. And as we are really thinking about it, we're discovering that there are gaps, right? And there, there's more work that needs to be made. And maybe there's parts of the business that don't treat it the same way we do. And it's bubbled up, you know, and now it's really something that's like, oh, we could really work on this. How can we reach out to other areas of the business to really create a culture of accepting the terms of psychological safety and really applying what that means across the organization. I believe that the last couple of years has really led to us thinking more deeply about that concept. I have an opposing viewpoint if you'd like to hear it. You have an opposing viewpoint. I'm I'm always open. Yeah, so consider that I'm a Hispanic male veteran. So I've been with uh, this health organization, the largest one in the United States for the last eight years or so. Prior to that, I came from a law enforcement job that I had for about four years. And then before that, I worked for companies like Intel. Okay, so Intel's culture, they have this thing that they call disagree and commit, you know, where you can be cordial, you can be psychologically safe or whatever, but you get to a point where a decision has to be made and it may not be something you like. It may be mm-hmm. something that you were adamantly against, but the idea being that you have to commit and move, you know, move the project forward at some point. Okay. So that seems to me at odds with psychological safety as I've experienced it. I will tell you that my first eight hours at my new job with the healthcare company eight years ago, they were the worst in my entire life. If ever I thought Irby be screwed up. Except, you know, I would like to use like the F word. Okay. <laughs> it was bad. I would have gone back to the old job so fast if I if that opportunity had been there. And the thing is, I think that there's different degrees of psychological safety, all depending mm. on the organization that you're with. At Intel, you could get in somebody's face and it was okay. You know, male, female, you know, different cultures. I mean, it's a multinational company for God's sakes, you know. I mean, it's it's an incredible place to work. Back to my point, in my present role, the psychological safety part is we couch what we're saying in this kind of verbose phraseology that I think takes away from the urgency of the message. Okay, so and by urgency, I mean, we get things done, but it takes a whole lot longer to get them done. There's that phrase, you know, cut to the chase. If you can say, here's the data, this is what it's telling us, this is what our peers, other health organizations that we're doing, 
that we're working with in, in the United States, this is where they're going. We need to get there too if we're going to serve you know, our patients and so on. And so I get to retire next year. So I get to put all the psychological safety behind me. And it's, it's kind of weird, but you know, I'm really into drones. So I bought this the other day. It's my seventh drone. Okay. This particular one, unlike all the others, this one's called the Cinewoop. It has a really nice camera, right? But can you see these things on the, on the sides? Yes. It has bumpers. So this is a side, psychologically safe drone. It hits something and it bounces back. My other self, if they hit something, they crash and there's a lot of damage and stuff. And so this is what I'm looking forward to doing going forward, is taking pictures of stuff with my psychologically safe drone. It isn't <laughs> going to get mad at me if I curse at it or if I say, you know what, perhaps that was a, the wrong thing to do and we should have done this. You know what I'm saying? Maybe yeah. you're, I don't know, I'm kind of a weird guy. <laughs> no, I think we get it. I think that's a great analogy that you're using there, that the drone tied that up really nicely too. But I do agree that there's a balance. There's a balance between wanting to get business done and then trying to still take people's thoughts, opinions into consideration. So I think that there's a balance there. And it goes back to what, what Jody was saying is that there's this push-pull that's happening. But I like that there's a push-pull happening because that means we have awareness of it. Some organizations handle that much better than others. Some care, some don't care. You know, so now our role as L&D people is to keep that balance to behavior model and show what, what this means. What does psychological safety mean in your workplace, in your organization that's going to help get business done, but still respect others? There's a role for us there. Yeah. Okay. And so then what does that mean? We have all of these things that we have working for us. And according to the, you know, to the LinkedIn report, we have the ear. More organizations are hiring chief learning officers than ever before. And that goes along with uh, diversity officers. So those two things are going hand in hand. So that means that there's a building of awareness here. So now how can we harness that? Yeah, talking about hiring chief learning officers, that psychologically safe organization that I'm with, we've had three in the last year. So <laughs> clearly there's, there's a, a cultural issue there. Yeah, yeah. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Maybe others should learn from that. <laughs> right. I think that that's an interesting thing to think about, like that companies are starting to recognize the value that L&D brings and can continue to bring. And I think that that puts us in a position of being able to get a seat at the table, which is fantastic. We just have to make sure we don't waste it by saying yes to every training request we get that shouldn't be a training request. Like we need to quit saying, oh, sure, we'll build the training because Joey forgot to punch in on Monday. Because every time we do something that isn't going to give them what they want, then they're going to walk away going, we asked you to help us and you didn't really help, even though we gave them what they asked for. You know, if you sell somebody a convertible when they need a minivan, they're not going to be happy with the convertible. Mm -hmm. And we just keep doing that because we want to say yes, we want to do what people ask us, but we really have to make sure that we're providing value at the end of the day. And value is what's actually needed, not what's asked for. Yes. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jody. <laughs> Absolutely. How do we get there from here? So what do these conversations look like with our business, right? So if we think about, you know, having a better understanding of the opportunities in front of us, one of which is being able to create business value and business impact, connecting learning to business value to business impact. How are we going to go about doing that now? We realize we have this very small window of opportunity. How are we going to take advantage of it? Well, we have to know what our business goals are. Oh, good. Yep, absolutely. And you guys have heard me preach that one before, right? Do you know the business goals? Do you know the business KPIs, the key performing indicators? When was the last time you read your business's annual report? If it's a publicly held business, there's an annual report out there. Have you read it? It starts with a shift in vocabulary. So some of these opportunities, speaking of business acumen, has us developing our own business acumen skills. Are we doing that? One thing that's been super helpful in my role is just having connection meetings with different business units and just saying like, you know, hey, what are you guys working on? Where are your challenges? Where are your wins? You know, and then as we have those conversations, number one, I've built that relationship with them before they come and ask for any piece of training. And then I can also say back to them when they're like, hey, we're really struggling with, we have so many agents calling in sick or unable to come to work because school's been canceled again, like whatever it is, we need to find a solution for getting that phone answered in a different way, right? Then I can come to the table and say like, hey, are you open to us just putting some time on the calendar and maybe brainstorming some ideas? And then they're like, oh, yeah. And then we can throw out ideas that aren't training specific, like we're not going to build an e-learning, we're not going to build but we could say like, maybe it makes sense instead of training them on this product first, we train them on this other one and a very short training and then provide resources for them so that we can get people through training and answering the calls faster. Mm -hmm. You know, so it just gives us that opportunity because we've built that relationship and they start to recognize that we have more value and we're actually there to help them. Then they're open to our ideas as opposed to them just coming and saying, hey, we need X. I mean, that's been working for us pretty well. Mm -hmm. Anyone want to add to that? Because that's great. Jody's on a roll. So anyone want to piggyback on what she's saying? Back to healthcare. So I just put in the chat a minute ago that everything that has crossed my desk this year, in fact, probably for like the last three or four years, everything I've produced, this is broadcast. Almost everything that I do is broadcast. I'm probably the only e-learning person in the world that doesn't know how to use like storyline. But having said that, all of the stuff that I do, again, healthcare, I really don't know what people are going to do with it. The material or the experience that a social worker has watching the presentation may be completely different than what a psychologist sees or psychiatrist sees. That makes it pretty interesting because from up, up way above, I guess, at the CEO level, they just say, yes, they said, if a physician tells you they need this training, you know what, somebody out there has that condition, they need it. I really don't say no in my job, which you would think would feel really good, except, oh, and also too, everything that I produce, everything is accredited. ACCME accredits physician stuff, ANCC accredits nursing, AP, of course, you know, psychology. And so those organizations, they have these very strict requirements on how mm -hmm. training gets produced. And invariably, I haven't, I can't recall a time when I didn't have 
physicians or nurses or psychologists on the team who weren't adept at producing instruction. I don't even get to rubber stamps though, because if they put it in the slide, if they put it in the script, you know, for a video, then it makes it onto the tape. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's some of the frustration, isn't it? Well, yes and no, I guess, because I, I would like to be innovative. But when you're talking about research-based, these are some really smart people that have done right. the research. And there's really nothing that I can add to that because for all practical purposes, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you're right. So there's some good to take with that. There's some not so good to take with that. You know, when we were talking about this chat in general, you know, you got the good, the bad, and the potential. Some of the bad is that sometimes we have to go with subject matter experts, right? But we've got to take that good with that bad. And that's with life, right? There's always something. There's always, you've got to eat your broccoli at some point, you know? So there's, there's always something that has to go along with this. And I'd like to, you know, shift the industry to where we are less about eating the broccoli to keep with that analogy and more towards having, you know, the things that we want, the things that we know that are really going to make a difference, you know, and whatever that means in your role within your organization, because that's going to mean something different for everyone. Now, the great part is understanding now that we can harness and take advantage of where we go. I thought, Maureen, you made a really good point here in the chat, which was L&D, we do a disservice to the business when we don't work collaboratively with all the different groups who may have an impact on improving performance. And that goes nicely hand in hand with what Jody was saying. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I can. I mean, I think it's just that, you know, even when we have a seat at the table and we say, this is what we're looking to improve and it's this metric and it may even be a KPI or something we can look at. The reality is that the learning or whatever we help towards that solution is only part of what's helping towards the solution. And so it does a disservice because if it doesn't move the needle because all of those other groups that were also going to impact performance didn't do anything, then I think it's still very easy to point it at that it was learning that dropped the ball or didn't go well. So, I mean, I just think that that's something that it probably just needs to happen over time and that you build, like, you know, you have an example and you, and then you get other people to kind of be the advocates for like, oh, this is a great approach to take. We work together towards something, but yeah, it's like pulling teeth to get actual KPIs or even if you like tap into something where it's like, you know, if there's like turnover or there's an error rate, or even if they say there's a lot of help desk tickets, well, okay, so who can we speak to to get a sense of like what's happening at the help desk? Like how many inquiries are around this? It's like nobody wants to share that information. It's like, well, <laughs> right, <laughs> <I> try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now let's think differently about that. So we know that some things that we've done in the past work or haven't worked. Now what? If you feel as though you're not getting the important information from your colleagues, then now what? Well, L&D, part of our world is magic and creative and you find, (laughs) you know, you do what you can to make those links. And I just think it's like communicating to and up the chain about what's happening or not happening so that at Mm -hmm. the end, it's that. I don't know. We all have to work together. And then, and there are some teams where we do have like after action reviews to say like Mm -hmm. what worked, what didn't. 
but it's in some groups though, there's more turnover. And so the people who were part of that have already moved on to something else. So because of the accolades they got for something, a project going well, they got promoted. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I, I see your comment here, Irby. Absolutely. It's, it is beginning with the end in mind, isn't it? It's if we, we start out talking business to business, then that's the conversations that end up happening. So if they come to us with a program request and we say, how is this going to impact the business? Then they have no other choice but to have that conversation with you, right? So rather than a lot of our conversations start with, and this is the change that I think uh, needs to happen within the industry is when, when we start talking about creating training programs assuming that the training program is what is needed. A lot of times we start with, well, okay, let's get down all of the learning objectives. Okay, Mr. Miss Business Sponsor, what learning objectives would you like to see? Totally the wrong question, right? The question here needs to be, okay, how is this training program going to help your department meet its goals? That's the question. Then you have to have that business-oriented conversation. Right. If every time that's what you ask, then you're sort of training the business sponsors to be prepared to answer that question when they come into your office. I remember ways back, I was working with a a VP of sales and he came into my office and he asked me for something. I said, "Okay, how is this going to help your department meet its goals? He goes, I knew you were going to ask that question. I'm like, great. Then come back when you have the answer. Off with you. And he was like, oh, okay." You know, so we could kind of train them to be prepared to answer those questions when they come to you. So I think that that's a big, important start that we can start with when we think about harnessing the potential of learning and development, going beyond training program developers or PowerPoint designers or meeting organizers. So what are your thoughts? I think what you said there, Shannon, was the question that I always ask, how is this going to help your goals? But I always followed up with, well, what would happen if we don't do the training? Right. So if we don't do training, what's going to happen is, mm-hmm. and, and they don't, they never have a question for that. They just, they just want something because, you know, Timmy didn't know how to fill out his time card. Well, that's not my job. I can that's give true. you something when he first starts <laughs> to show them process, but ultimately it comes down to how are your leaders engaging with their employees? Right. Absolutely. That is the, crossroads I'm at with my my organization right now is I can push out it, all this training, everything, but I can't make people do what they're supposed to do. That's your job as the leader, not my job as the, the training manager. Right. Well, and I think we're in a unique position right now in history for learning and development to really bring managers into the fold. You know, so how do we bring managers on the ride with us? How do we get them on board with us? More so than we've ever had to in the past. Let's face it, in front of every good training program, in front of every good change initiative is a line manager saying, nope. Yep. How do we get them in? How do we activate them to be part of what we do? Because I think this is a great potential for L&D is to create that strength of partnership with line managers, how do we do that? It's a culture change for a lot of for a lot of organizations. Is they have to start thinking that your job as the 
frontline leader is not just telling people what to do, it's making sure that they're working safely or that they're following through on what they're supposed to be doing, that there is some accountability for them and then their leaders holding them accountable for those things. So this top-down you know, effect is frontline leaders like, uh, nope, I'm not doing that. Because that's mm-hmm. not what I'm like, no, that is what you're supposed to do as a leader. Mm-hmm. What other ideas? How else can we activate managers? Get them involved in the design process. And in some cases, have them actually become some of the facilitators of this, right? If it's mm-hmm. somewhat of their idea and they're bought into it, they have a vestment to make sure that it isn't a failure versus mm-hmm. being just the obstinate child that is not my idea. I won't do it. Right. So what is your idea? Mm-hmm. You're vested in this as much as I am more because this affects your day to day. Once I'm done with the project, I'm on to my next. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they really like when you bring them in and you say, well, you know, how, how would this best be communicated to your team? And they give you some ideas and they actually see that in the end product. And they're like, that was my idea. Yes. Look at that. You we're partners here. I'm not your evil overlord in the tower. (laughs) (laughs) I found that if I kind of start that way, when I meet with the managers or meet with the other departments and say, you know, my job is not just an instructional designer. It's not just a trainer, not just I'm here to make you successful and your team successful, but we've got to be able to do that together. And so then we have these conversations. Does it work all the time? No, because there are some that are just like, hey, I just need to be able to check this box. They're getting used to, in the past, before, I guess, before me, they're used to being told yes, and they'll say, hey, you know, Timmy doesn't know how to clock in appropriately. All right, we'll put a lesson up there. Well, now I've started to kind of redirect and go, all right, so why isn't he? Let's talk about, and and getting more things done and, and getting to the root cause. At least in healthcare, sometimes... Our history, at least with my company, our history is those people that are in learning and development right now with our company weren't in learning and development to begin with. Oh, you were a great bedside nurse. You've now gotten your master's. Let's put you in a learning role. And so they didn't really understand that that portion. I'm an anomaly because I went the other direction. I started in learning development, went to nursing school, became a nurse, and now I'm back in learning and development. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm the weirdo that can speak both languages, (laughs) but they're starting to go, oh yeah. I mean, when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, we need learning on workplace violence. And you're like, hey, Joe, you just took that course in your annual e-learning two weeks ago. (laughs) That's how you know your stuff's not working. (laughs) Yes. And so I save those examples. And I use those examples when I have those meetings going, hey, let me explain to you what checking the box does. Here's an example. I love that. That's a great idea. That's helping to bring them along. Again, doesn't work 100% of the time, but they're getting there. Right. But it's good anecdotal type of data. And for the most part, they're more responsive to anecdotal, at least some of the departments I've been working with lately. Now, if I'm working with finance, then I got to go numbers. I got to go down. I got it. (laughs) But if I'm working with quality or a nursing unit or something like that, then I can go anecdotal and it makes more sense to them. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because you're speaking a language. I love that. I think that that's excellent. And it does start with the big question to your point, Jen. And also, you know, Jason is like, the big question is, 
why aren't people doing the thing we want them to do or that they need to do? So rather than going in and saying, well, here's a training program, it's like, well, why aren't they doing it in the first place? And I think also when we think about the movement of L&D through the years, and I saw Irby's comment in there about shifting even the job title from instructional designer to design thinking. Sometimes that makes a big difference in organizations because Irby, your comment was spot on about sometimes people think instructional designers and they think teachers. So they automatically kind of put you into that box. But I do think that there's been a big shift in attitudes behind what a learning and development person can do for an organization. And just changing the way that we have these conversations and changing our vocabulary use and how we present data to people, like Jen said, I think that that's a great shift that I've seen that we are all making. And so now those are great ways to be able to activate managers, bring them in earlier. That's what I'm hearing from you guys is that you bring them in or keep them in. I used to do steering committees. And so a steering committee rotated every quarter. So there'd be different people on the committee. So you'd have a business leader, a manager, line managers, end users were all part of this steering committee. And you'd meet with them every few weeks or once a month just to kind of sense check the priorities of the organization and say, what do you guys think of this? This is what training is working on right now. Do you think this is really a priority or not? Or why? How do you think this is going to make a business impact? And so everybody's voices from different areas of the business was heard. I'm looking at Jody's comment. One question I have added when learning more about the business needs my team create. How often is that happening? What data do you have to show? How often are your team members not logging in? Right. So you're asking them for data. Show me the data. Because in essence, what you're asking there is show me the proof that you need this training. Although that's not what you're saying. Right. It really comes down to a perception, right? Like I manage a team. I have one employee that is horrible at logging in. That is a management issue, not a training <laughs> issue. Right. The employers worked for the company for six years, seven years now. Not a training issue. They know how to do the job. And so I know that. So when another manager comes to me and says, hey, my employees aren't logging in, I can say to them, like, well, what data do you have? Like, is this is this a widespread issue or is it one employee? You know, and then they start to recognize where I'm going with that, right? Oh, it's just Timmy. Oh, well, have you talked to Timmy yet? Like, maybe... <laughs> We do have this right. like this this course. Like, if you want to show it to Timmy because you think Timmy doesn't remember, like here it's out there. Like that he learned it on day one. Like first thing HR taught him was how to clock in. But I just have really, really pushed back on that because I have too many asks on my desk. Right, I can't say yes to everything. Right. So, Irby, I'm glad that you can, but I'm not in a position to say yes to everything, and so I have to really pick and choose where where we spend our time and can add the most, most, oh, I love that, if his life depended on it. I, um, I asked that question too, Maureen. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And as the priorities for L&D grow, and as we become more involved in the business, and we talk about seat at the table, and yes, we, we need to seat at the table. And I wish we had bigger voices when it came to the seat at the table. But for me, it's not asking for a seat at the table. It's just about grabbing the chair. Just grabbing the chair and do something. Don't wait for people to ask you to join them. 
this is why we're all learning rebels here, right? So we are going to grab the chair. We're going to have a seat. We're going to do the things that is important for our business and for our organizations. And so while having a seat at the table is a good goal to have, I say, just do it, do what you can, do what you can. And it's baby steps, right? You don't have to do big things. You can do small things like changing the questions we ask. That's a small thing to do. Learning consultants, yes, writing in the margins. (laughs) That's instead a comment about me not writing in books. Yes, thank you. Going all the way back to our book chat, which by the way, don't forget to check out on LinkedIn. I've I've taken all of the books that came out of the book chat and I'm putting, I'm posting one book a day. So if you're not following me on LinkedIn, do that because one book a day for the month of September. So this leads me to the last part of this, which is upskilling ourselves. What are we doing to make ourselves as current as we possibly can be, to have the right conversations, to keeping in the know and our own professional development? Part of that LinkedIn report said, that on the average, L&D people spend 23% less time upskilling themselves than other people in their organization. So we are not particularly good behavior models. That made my eyes go like this when I read that in the report. So we need to do better at upskilling ourselves and finding time. So how are we going to do that, people? One answer, I'm going to be here every other Friday. Okay, there's one. <laughs> okay, what else are you? I uh, just put it in the chat, Shannon, stuff like these collaborative things, right? So it's, I mean, this is in essence a version of a burst learning for us, right? Caring and sharing and, and moving on, right? Yep, absolutely. Shared experiences, we all learn from that. But other than plugging my stuff, what is it that you guys can, what can you do? I do ATD every year okay you go to the conference every year international conference even even when i was self-employed and had you know basically paying for it out of my own pocket it's just that critical to my credibility in this profession and i read the magazine you know and i get to know the leaders in in the profession and that increases my wisdom and i've been in this business a long long time and everything i've done has led me to this point where my wisdom is what I share with people. And then I can help them see why something won't work or have you thought about this or here's going to be the ramifications of that. And it gets so wrapped up into OD as well. And so that's become my world now. I love that, Deb. Yes, I see you. I used to do the same. Well, I do the same thing now. I mean, I own my own business. So whenever I go to ATD, and if I'm not speaking, I've got to pay for that out of my own pocket. And it's the one conference a year that I will happily pay out of my own pocket to go to. It's just that valuable. Yeah, you know, Shannon, I'd just like to share something too, you know, nine years ago when I was working in New Mexico of all places, you know, near Carlsbad, Carlsbad's caverns, not a whole lot of chances for PD there. But <laughs> I looked at I looked at my job, I was, I was in like 20 years, you know, doing it for at that time. And you know what I found that was lacking in my career? I wasn't having fun. I was really good at what I did, you know, it's almost like I was like at a knife edge. And, you know, I found out about this thing that K-12 teachers have called EdCamp, you know, oh, where it's, right. an, it's an it's an unconference where you go there and what ends up being on the agenda is you look at the skills and knowledge, the know-how that people bring to the event and then what the needs are. And then you, 
you know, the 8020 rule, you know, develop the, the, the agenda right there. And, you know, I have, it's rare now that I go to an industry event. I think I'm going to go to Devlin you know, next month. I think my boss mm-hmm. wants me to go. But for the most part, I learn alongside kids, you know, basically, you know, next in two weeks, I'm going to be in Texas learning how to be a teacher's aide. You know, you talk about servant leadership, you know, being, yes. you know helping people. Yeah. And so, again, I, does it have to do directly with L&D? No. Does but Canada it's something. Apply? Yeah. 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 It's yeah, something. Yeah, I don't need to know any more information about Knowles. I don't need to know anything more about AR, VR. You know, I need to know how to connect with people because that's what I do. Yep. I completely agree with that. Any sort of professional development, I think the beauty of what we do is that a lot of what we can learn is transferable. It's transferable to a whole host of different places. And so now as we are at the top of the hour, man, that was a fast conversation. Now that we're at the top of the hour, here's what I'd like you guys to do is to share with me Let's leave this on a really positive and a really high note. What I'd like to know is why are you in this profession? What do you love about what you do? I like helping people help themselves and get better. There is some inner glory, I guess, seeing people be able to get better at what they need to do. Yes, I agree. Me too. What else? So I do a lot of internal education and also external customer education. And so for me, it's really creating, like making other people's jobs the best it can be. So making them just great at their job, whether that's here at my company or at the companies that use our software. So love that. Excellent. Deb, what do you love about the industry? Oh my gosh, I've been in it for so long. I started my first ATV conference was in the late 80s. So wow, have I seen some changes. But I'm passionate about this work because I love the analysis of a performance situation and then realizing all the many ways we can address it and, and helping people to help themselves to, mm-hmm. to become better at what they do. Yes. Dana Robinson has written some really good things. She used to present at ATD all the time, and, and she had a thing called the Gap Zapper. So one-page chart, and I don't know if you can Google it and get it or not, but it's in her books. If you look at Dana Gaines Robinson's in her books, you know, training and development is only one solution to a performance problem, and this one-page graphic really illustrated that, and I've used it so often because we can affect some of those other things, too. Mm-hmm. We can help people figure out some of those other things beyond L&D. I agree. I think that's what I like is that our jobs just touch so many different areas. It touches the business, it touches people, and it's always something new and always something different, you know, and the rewards are great with that. What else? Stella, I haven't heard from you today. Stella, what, why are you in this, this industry? Why, what do you love? Well, you have such an impact because if you produce videos and quizzes, and everyone uh, has access to them without you being there. I think um, I'm one of the best known people of the company because of the e-learning courses for our distributors and daughter companies and subsidiaries. That's, that's fantastic to have such an outreach worldwide. Yeah, and I think that that's when you talk about the movement of the industry, right? Before we were pretty siloed off and now the reach that we have is pretty impressive. So good for you, Stella. I love yeah, that. Everyone can produce videos with Camtasia. And uh, if they are well done, short and precise, then 
it's loved by everyone. That's great. It is great. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else before we call it a day? Bess? Really, it's about the opportunity to help people develop it, but doing that in a creative way that you engage them differently. To Stella's comment, something sometimes it's good that everyone knows you, and sometimes it's not because, like, you're the person who made all that training. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, those are probably the key things. Yeah, I love the creative elements of what we do. All right, anyone want to do have the last the last word on this? I'll say one thing really quick, and that is just like they always say. And if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I love teaching. So it's something that it's been a passion for 45 years and I still can't stop. So it's just, I don't feel like I'm working. I don't, I really don't. So thank and you. I, everyone. I love today's uh, conversation. I didn't participate much, but I did listen the whole time. So, well, thank you for that. And I think that's the perfect place to end this conversation on. So everybody, great weekend. I am off to Key West. Anybody doing anything fun this weekend? Football. Football. Oh, that's right. right. The season kicks off. Yes. Football season. All about football season. We have a big rocket launch this weekend. So hopefully. You have have a what launch? A rocket. Rocket. Oh, are they launching that this weekend? Hopefully. Oh, fingers crossed. They figured out they broke now. (laughs) Right. Oh, no. Okay. We'll see. So lots of exciting things going on. Will you guys take care? Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Could you feel the energy? I think we can all agree that the future of L&D is bright, but only if we take advantage of the opportunities in front of us right now. Jen wisely mentioned that many people don't come into organizations with the necessary prerequisite skills and knowledge in order to do the job. A main role of L&D to help with the skills priority is to simply help provide what she calls level skills. We can't help an organization upskill if the level or baseline skills are still needed. Sometimes the best way to help our businesses succeed is to help them see the force through the trees and go back to basics. Another key takeaway, we can harness the momentum of the industry by activating managers and bringing them into the shared conversations about connecting learning to business value. Now, this was an action item listed in the LinkedIn Workplace Learning Report to help L&D leaders embrace business transformation. So obviously we are all on the same page. So now your action item, flex those superhero muscles. A core strength of L&D professionals everywhere is the ability to connect and collaborate. Don't worry about gaining a seat at the table. In fact, step away from the table. Go to where the people are, find out their frustrations and barriers and help take those frustration and barriers away. This will continue to create energy and excitement around the L&D role. Hopefully, that is a challenge that is accepted. Now you want to join us live and you know you do, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious and take over the world. Bye for now.